You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. It's three up and three down for Jim Jordan. Welcome to the fastest show in politics as the Republican from Ohio fails by his widest margin yet in the race for Speaker of the House. We could be in for a long weekend, and we'll bring you up to date in just a moment with the latest from Capitol Hill, and we'll have a conversation with Congressman Dan Kildee. The Democrat is fresh off the floor in the middle of all this and with us here on Sound On for his take on this day after President Biden's Oval Office address on Israel and Ukraine. We have analysis from our signature panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are with us for the hour. So let's get to it now. After a third round of voting, it just wrapped up a short time ago. Jim Jordan falls short again. By surname, a speaker has not been elected. Pursuant to Clause 12A of Rule 1, the chair declares the House in recess subject to the call of the chair. There you have it. Like I said, three up and three down. This time he did lose more votes than he has yet. Having started with 20, then it was 22, now it's 25. The question is, will he continue? And it sure sounds like it. Having been asked in a news conference this morning if he plans to grind through the weekend, here's Jim. Well, y'all, y'all said that we were going to lose between the first vote and the second vote. Y'all said we were going to lose 10 to 15 votes. We stayed the same. We picked up a few. We lost a few. I think the ones we lost can come back. So, uh, look, there's been multiple rounds of votes for speaker before. Um, we all know that. I just know that we need to get a speaker as soon as possible so we can get to work for the American people. All right, let's bring in Megan Scully, Bloomberg Congress team leader, who has been an awfully busy person these past couple of days. Megan, it's good to see you, and thanks for making time for us here on Sound On. Is that what we're thinking now, that we're going to keep grinding through the next three, four days, however long it takes? He pointed in that answer to Kevin McCarthy, who, of course, took 15 rounds. Yes. Um, so right now, Republicans are huddling in a in a large room in the Capitol behind closed doors trying to figure out exactly the answer to that question. What's next? Hmm. Um, do we give Jim Jordan another go? Do we stick in through the weekend? There's some serious concerns members are airing, particularly Republican members, that they aren't going to have lawmakers here this weekend, that that many have family and other obligations and uh, and they want to get out of here, um, especially if it means staying in for more failed rounds of Jim Jordan. Does that mean we're going to have attendance issues this weekend that could potentially change the math for him? Yeah. yeah. So one Republican uh, was just talking to reporters outside the House chamber, suggested that now I don't think this would happen. I think that the the Patrick McHenry, um, the the acting speaker, is is probably too um, he's too politically astute for this. Uh, but if Republicans didn't show up in in numbers, there's certainly the uh, the possibility that the Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries could become Speaker of the House. Again, I don't think that's going to happen. They would not hold a vote if if they felt like they had such an attendance issue. But that's just kind of uh, encapsulates the absurdity of where we are right now. Well, gosh, I've been hearing that word from time to time, Megan. Thank you. It's great to see you. And we appreciate your analysis here on this Friday that saw a third failed vote for Jim Jordan. 
and we bring in the congressman from Michigan. Dan Kildee, uh, the Democrat, of course, is with us because he's not in that Republican conference meeting. And it's good to see you, Representative Kildee. Welcome back to Bloomberg. Can you just, for starters, give us a sense of what it was like to be on the floor for this? I heard a lot of Democrats start laughing when Kevin McCarthy introduced Jim Jordan as an effective legislator. Yeah, I mean, Jim Jordan is a lot of things, but he's not known as a legislator that's been able to produce legislative results. There are different kinds of members of Congress here. We have them on both sides of the aisle, to be honest with you. We got folks who, you know, put their head down, get the work done, deliver actual legislation that positively affects the lives of the American people. And then we got people who make a lot of noise and make a lot of clamor. And, you know, I've been in Congress 11 years. Jim Jordan's been in the latter category the whole time. And so, I, you know, I, I just think he has seen his role as being a different role and is not considered to be one of those real uh, legislative achievers. Well, so where do you think we're going? I know that you're not inside the Republican conference, uh, but you've been doing this for a minute. The, the conventional wisdom in Washington is that Jim Jordan loses more votes with each round. How many can he afford before this is done and we're on to another name? Well, he's going in the wrong direction. He's losing votes every time. And, you know, this is not without consequence. The American people have needs that ought to be met. We have global challenges that need to be met. So while there, this looks like a struggle, uh, sort of a civil war within the Republican Party, it's not without a consequence. Uh, we need to take action. We need to make sure that we uh, secure a, a spending plan. It's a bipartisan plan so that the, the needs of the American people are being met. If we don't do that, because of this civil war within the Republican Party, there's a consequence to the American people. I only say that because very often it looks a lot like palace intrigue. This is a real serious issue that could affect Americans in a really negative way. You're now, my leader, Hakeem Jeffries. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say my view is the same view that we offered uh, when Speaker McCarthy was facing the motion to vacate. We want to see a bipartisan path forward. We have very narrow margins in the House. We have divided government. We offered to Speaker McCarthy when he was Speaker facing the motion to vacate a bipartisan path forward. He said no, that he had it covered. Uh, we now are offering the same thing uh, to our Republican colleagues. Let's, we know they're in the majority and they're going to name a Republican Speaker. We're not fooling ourselves in that regard. But that doesn't mean we can't come to together Jim to Jordan. get... I don't, I'm certainly not Jim Jordan. He's, he's the least par, uh, bipartisan member of Congress that I know. But we can come together, even if it's to make um, Speaker Pro Tem McHenry, uh, the, the Speaker yeah. Pro Tem for a fixed period of time so that we can get the business of the American people done. I'm open to that. Your leader, Hakeem Jeffries, called Jim Jordan a clear and present danger in a conversation with reporters in the hallways uh, earlier today. And Jim Jordan, I'm not sure exactly what he meant by that. You can weigh in on it because there are questions about the role that he played uh, on January 6th and helping Donald Trump attempt to overturn the results of the 2020 election. Jim Jordan was asked about that at his news conference earlier today. This is his answer. I'd love to hear you respond to it, Congressman. Here's Jim Jordan. I think there were all kinds of problems with the 2020 election. I've been clear about that. My, my intention in forwarding the email was an argument made by former Inspector General for Donald Rumsfeld, accomplished lawyer who laid out an argument from the Federalist Papers. I forwarded it on to them. That, that was all it was. Congressman, do Democrats consider Jim Jordan to be an election denier? And if so, what would that mean if he became speaker? Well, he is an election denier. Uh, I mean, I, it was a cute answer that he gave when pressed on this question. He was intimately involved in supporting the effort 
to stop the election from being certified. He, he was actually quite proud of that until now being challenged uh, on those statements in the, in the longer view of history, he looks foolish. But th there's no denying, even by him in the, at the time, that he was a part of the effort to stop the certification of the election. He was in conversation uh, with former President Trump during that day on several occasions. And, you know, the facts are just very clear in this regard. You know, I don't deny him the right to his opinion. Uh, he just needs to stick to the opinion that he had then. That was a threat to the United States. That was a threat to our democracy. Jim Jordan was a part of it, and he can't deny it. You think he's going to drop out? I don't know. Uh, you know, some people around this town, again, this happens to be on both sides of the aisle from time to time, some people fall in love with their noble defeats or what they view as a noble defeat. Um, Jim Jordan has not been a person who's ever gotten a lot of policy enacted, but he's always, often very critical of the policies that are enacted. And, and so he doesn't have a lot of experience with success around here. And so I don't know if he knows how to get there. I don't believe he does. He's going in the wrong direction. But I also don't know that he has it in him to drop out. But it shouldn't be up to him. There are plenty of reasonable people in that Republican conference, friends of mine, uh, that I hope will finally come to him and say, Jim, it's done. It's over. We're going to move on. Yeah. Well, you're, you're known for working across the aisle. I know that you have Republican friends. What do they tell you when guys like me are not around? You're obviously hearing, I guess, from centrists. Maybe these are Main Street Republicans. What do they tell you about a potential path forward in, in which Democrats and Republicans might be able to work together? Well, we've actually had some pretty serious conversations uh, between Democrats and Republicans on this possibility of empowering uh, Speaker Pro Tem McHenry for a month yep. or two just so that we can get the, the pressing business of the American people to the floor of the House and over to the President's desk. Making sure we have a budget, dealing with the challenges in, in Israel and Palestine, mm -hmm. dealing with what's going on in Conservatives Ukraine. Conservatives say hell dealing, no to that though, right? They, they seem to, but you know what? They don't maybe get to call the shots all the time. We shouldn't have uh, the, the most extreme members dictating the questions that come before Congress when we have over 300 members that have already once this year come together around a compromised budget plan, we ought to just go back to those agreements and remind ourselves that while we have our differences, we can find common ground. If we allow that common ground to be taken to the floor of the House, right now, Republicans are preventing it. Spending time with Congressman Dan Kildee, who's with us live on Capitol Hill. And I'll remind everyone, Congressman, that you serve on the Budget Committee, you serve on the Ways and Means Committee, and less than a month from now, uh, this government is going to shut down unless something happens. Is Patrick McHenry the only way to avoid a shutdown at this point? I don't know if he's the only way, but he's a certain way. Uh, if, we, if we were to come to agreement to empower uh, Speaker Pro Tem McHenry to bring up the, the resolution that we enacted in a bipartisan fashion on May 31, uh, we'd get, I assume, the same number of votes that we had in May this month and that would stop a government shutdown. So that's one way. Uh, if they've got another name they want to offer that will be willing to bring up that bipartisan agreement, uh, I think it would be good for the American people and it would allow the Republican conference to continue to have their argument about who should be their permanent speaker, but not hold the American people hostage in the process. Mm. You planning to work the weekend? What's the message that you're hearing? You know, I'll be here uh, ready to vote. Uh, we don't know what the Republican leadership will, will do in their conference meeting. There's a chance they send us home and we come back Monday. My view is let's get this done. Uh, it, whatever the ultimate result is, let's get it done sooner rather than later.
Glad you could join us, as always. Congressman Dan Kildee, the Democrat from Michigan. Good to see you. And thanks for Thank the insights today on another wild day in Washington. If you're just joining us, Jim Jordan fails in round three, and we still do not have a Speaker of the House or apparently a path to get one. As we assemble our panel now, Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics contributor, and Jeannie Shanzano with us on this Friday, I'm glad Thank to say. You. All right. Uh, Rick, here we are again. This is... Uh, this <laughs> This is starting to feel like Groundhog Day. Uh, what does a third and bigger loss for Jim Jordan mean for any potential future rounds? Well, you know, the difference in Groundhog Day is you learn along the way. They don't seem to be learning anything along the way here. Um, uh, you know, it's just it's an exercise in stupidity. Uh, uh, how many times you have to vote and keep losing votes to find out that you're not going to be the speaker? Um the Jordan thing is a real case study because it shows that uh, it's more important for him to keep fighting than to actually accomplish anything. He's not going to be Speaker of the House of Representatives. It, it, it is not baked into the vote. Um, uh, I spent a lot of time counting votes on Capitol Hill, and, and it, it, it's pretty obvious that the more he votes, the more he is going to ostracize himself in his own caucus. And, and so... The, the fact is, this meeting that's being held right now needs to result in some new ideas. Patrick McHenry mm. isn't making it easy for people because he doesn't want to be speaker, and he's made it very clear. But, you know, this may be draft day. And, and, and I think that at this stage, Republican leaders, and he's one of them, need to salute and do what's right for the country and quit worrying about their own political ambitions. Wow. Jeannie Shanzano, happy Friday. It feels a lot like Thursday, which felt like Wednesday. I guess my question here is, you know, look, it's Jim Jordan we're talking about. He's a wrestler. We've certainly heard a lot about that recently. And sometimes you have to get into that third or fourth round before you get the upper hand. I mean, do you even see him having that bone in his body to back down? You know, I, I don't know how he is feeling and what he is thinking. He seems to be prodded on by members. And this, to me, is really a fight between something we have seen in the Republican Party writ large, which is the populist MAGA Trump wing of the party versus the institutionalists. And the institutionalists, I think many on the Trump side, were pretty confident we're going to cave. And that hasn't proven to be the case. They have stood strong and their numbers are slowly increasing as we look at this latest vote. And so Jim Jordan is going to have to realize that they need to find a consensus candidate. But, you know, to me, what has been so striking is listening to and you mentioned this when you were talking to the representatives. These nominating speeches are fascinating. You know, Kevin McCarthy calling Jim Jordan a legislator and getting a chuckle and a laugh. And then Kevin McCarthy suggesting that people who put their names on bills are somehow to be looked down upon. Well, if you're not signing bills and not passing legislation and not trying to do the number one job that you're elected to do, how is it that you can be thought of as a leader in this party? But that is what Kevin McCarthy was suggesting. So, you know, between that and Tom Cole the day before nominating Jim Jordan and his basis for nomination was Jim Jordan is going to attack Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. This is where they are. And it is not a selling point for the party or for voters. So keep it up, guys. It is a losing proposition. 
Wow. Maybe he will wrestle the entitlements to the ground, <laughs> Jeannie. Rick, the, the stories from inside the Republican conference meeting, I can only imagine what's going on right now as we speak, are wild. People yelling at each other, F-bombs being thrown, the five families kind of ganging up on each other. Matt Gates shouted down, told to sit when he stands. If it continues to deteriorate like this, where are we in a week or two from now when a shutdown appears more likely? Yeah, look, I mean, every day that there's not a speaker in that chair, a shutdown is one more day to being likely, uh, probably less than 20 working days between now and when the shutdown would occur. Uh, it's a, it's panic time today, right? I mean, we don't have time to panic next week. We, we, we should be panicking today. Uh, in addition to that, the president just submitted a significant funding bill, you know, for uh, for our allies and, and distressed democracies around the world that is incredibly important. Uh, and I would say almost as important as funding the federal government itself, because uh, without these kinds of funds flowing to these places, good democracies will go by the wayside. And so uh, this this group has to get off the, 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 the pot and do something. And and the reality is uh, you know, it, it it only seems to get worse. I mean, now the the crazy eights, the gang that that threw uh, McCarthy out of the chair for actually passing bills, um, is yeah. is offering um, uh, uh, a willingness to be punished if they if the rest of the caucus just supports Jordan. That's the strangest yeah. offer I've ever heard in politics. <laughs> hey, we totally screwed up. But, and we're willing Hold to be thought, punished. Rick Davis. We've got more with our panel coming up next. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. We've got a red headline on the terminal about Israel, and it is not the ground invasion, quite the contrary. As I read, U.S. presses Israel to delay Gaza invasion to win hostage release. Did you see the president last night? Did you listen on Bloomberg TV or radio? Joe Biden from the Oval Office. Only the second time he's used the Oval Office as a venue to reach into Americans' homes. Went live at 8 p.m. Washington time. And he spoke to the cause behind not only funding Israel, but also Ukraine. Now, early this morning, I returned from Israel. <clears throat> they tell me I'm the first American president to travel there during the war. I met with the prime minister and members of his cabinet. And most movingly, I met with Israelis who had personally lived through horrific horror of the attack by Hamas on the 7th of October. More than 1,300 people slaughtered in Israel including at least 32 American citizens. Scores of innocents, from infants to the elderly grandparents, Israelis, Americans taken hostage. As I told the families of Americans being held captive by Hamas, we're pursuing every avenue to bring their loved ones home. Which brings us to the supplemental budget request that will apparently amount to $100 billion. The president did detail some of that last night. We've done more reporting on how it breaks down with a good chunk of that, 60 billion of it, for Ukraine. Now, there was a lot of reporting here as we bring our panel back in. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are with us. There was reporting 
that this invasion could come at any point following the president's visit. It has not begun yet. And Jeannie, I wonder your thoughts on whether you think it will actually happen. What are they waiting for? Is this about rescuing hostages or is it more than that? You know, first of all, such good news to hear that there's this potential hostage release. I think this is what everybody has been hoping for and praying for. So provided those accounts are true, um, that is very good news all yeah, around. Yeah, we should detail that, Jeannie. That's the other most important headline is that Hamas says it released two uh, U.S. citizens on humanitarian grounds. Uh, but there are still dozens left, Jeannie. What's your that's, thought? That's right. Yeah, hundreds. Uh, we, I mean, over a hundred, a hundred and fifty potentially that we hear. So, you know, I, I think it. Um, this is the fine line that we've heard the president and the administration walking for some time. Um, and you know, it was stunning to see a U.S. president sitting in the war cabinet of another country. I mean, if you had told me a week ago, two weeks ago, that we would ever see that, that was a stunning development. And, it, you know, hmm. we are looking at a government in Israel, which has not just Benjamin Netanyahu, but this council, this war council made up of three. And what we do here is there has been some division amongst those three in terms of when and how to go in. One of those div divisions being, do you go into Gaza as a one front of war or do you go in as a two front to try to head off some attack from the north by Hezbollah hmm. and others? And then, of course, this question of how extensive the invasion is. And now, as you couple that with the U.S. asking them to put it off um, when they go in. So a lot of questions unanswered. I do think we get a, a ground invasion, but I don't think we can say right now whether that is going to be at two front, one front, extensive or more limited. But if their goal is to wipe Hamas out, how can they do that in a limited invasion on the ground? Very, very yep. difficult to imagine that being accomplished. And, um, you know, that's really what we are left with. And that's why they are hearing mi mixed messages from the rest of the world on this. The president said a short time ago at the White House, Rick, that within 24 to 48 hours, the first aid will be en route to Gaza. I've been asking which will happen first. Will the aid arrive or will the ground invasion begin? What do you think? You know, I, I, I think it's disconnected. Um, I don't think that the Israeli military are considering um, the release of aid as a prerequisite or uh, or 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 not. Um, they they have their own goals and objectives militarily uh, that are focused on um, the, the, the the northern part of Gaza. That is not where the aid is going to come in. Uh, a lot of good agencies are working hard to bring aid in. Um, you know, and I think those two things are relatively disconnected. I do not think uh, that the hostage situation is disconnected from the pause of military activity going into Gaza. Uh, obviously, everyone's top priority, the U.S. and Israel, is to get their hostages out. Um, and the fact that Qatar is playing a uh, constructive role in trying to facilitate that, we, we have to remind ourselves that the entire political leadership of Hamas is in Doha, Qatar. It's where they live and where they operate. Uh, it's a it's a Faustian bargain that these things are allowed to happen because then we need the Qataris when this kind of thing happens. So um, yes, the, right. the the reality is that we we hope that this solves some of that problem. 
And then uh, Israel will make whatever military decisions that are in their best interest. Yeah, apparently it was uh, a mother and her daughter uh, released with uh, the help of, to your point, Rick, uh, Cutter, which helped to negotiate the release of these hostages. Bloomberg says it was not immediately possible to verify claims by Hamas or identify the two Americans. So I suspect that we'll be learning a lot more about this. Uh, you've got to take that as good news, I'm guessing, Jeannie, and I think you already made that reference. If if hostage rescue operations are slowing a ground invasion, we call that progress, right? Absolutely. And, and you know, you hope that this is a precursor of what is to come, that there is an agreement struck to get that humanitarian aid in to the degree it needs to be in safely. And then, of course, more importantly, those hostages released. And this is, you know, sort of a, a, a one positive sign at a very, very difficult moment. So absolutely good news. And I think, you know, this is what the president has been talking about is, you know, trying to be circumspect and trying to keep the emotion out of it as much as possible and try to get these steps done of aid and the hostages released and this so this, you know, is sort of building on what he said last night. But of course, how Israel responds militarily and, of course, what happens elsewhere. Let's not forget, we had the missile attack yesterday that the U.S. struck down for the Houthis. We have Hezbollah on the fringe. So all of those players and the proxies of Iran still out there and how they respond yeah. to all of this is going to be critically important. It does feel different today than it did uh, even yesterday. And in this case, another rapidly developing story, Rick, with reports of uh, of attacks on U.S. military installations in Iraq and Syria. The fact that uh, the U.S. intercepted cruise missiles uh, shot by a terrorist group in Yemen toward Israel. How concerned are you about this becoming a wider war? Well, I, th I actually think it started as a wider war, um, I, you know, I thought it was naive that we spent a lot of time debating what Iran's role in all this was on the heels of the attack from Hamas into Israel. Um, look, I mean, Iran has been fomenting instability and and violence in the region. Their malign influence is well documented and known. And and all of these groups, the Houthis, the Hamas, the others, uh, the Syrians, they they all are funded. They are all equipped. Where do you think they get the missiles um, you know, this is an Iran play uh, to try and destabilize the region the same way the Russians are doing uh, in Europe and the Chinese are doing in Asia. These are uh, axis of evil that that George Bush only dreamed of. Uh, I mean, this is this is what wow. the speech that President Biden uh, uh, made. Uh, it was all about this. I want to hear from both of you about the president's address. We're going to do that next. And, of course, it all ties back into what's happening or not happening here in Washington with a speakerless House. It doesn't matter what the president asks for. You can't get action on legislation unless someone has the gavel. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. It was only his second Oval Office address as President Joe Biden last evening, taking to air at 8 p.m. from behind the Resolute desk to make the case for funding Israel and Ukraine, painting this as a very dangerous world. I know these conflicts can seem far away, 
And it's natural to ask, why does this matter to America? So let me share with you why making sure Israel and Ukraine succeed is vital for America's national security. You know, history has taught us that when terrorists don't pay a price for their terror, when dictators don't pay a price for their aggression, they cause more chaos and death and more destruction. The president last evening in the Oval Office, he has since commented on the situation, as we mentioned, uh, suggesting that humanitarian aid in the next 24 to 48 hours will be arriving in Gaza. Let's reassemble our panel to talk about this and a lot more. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are here on the Friday edition of Sound On. Rick, what did you make of the speech itself, the writing of the speech, but also the delivery by this president? Yeah, I thought it was uh, best best speech the president has given since his term of office. It was uh, substantively exactly what the American people needed to hear uh, that um, that that the world is a competitive place and and there are those who uh, want to undermine our values and our system of democracy around the world. Uh, he was able to use effectively, I thought, Ukraine and Israel as two examples of of what's happening around the world in that regard. Uh, but there are more, and he alluded to that with uh, Taiwan and and China, uh, and 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 frankly, there are even more than that. So uh, I think he finally took it to the American people. I I wish he'd done it on Ukraine earlier uh, to help build uh, American support for that. Um, but I thought it was um, uh, well done, and and hopefully will result in uh, a little stiffer backbone and some of the isolationists in Congress to get going uh, and uh, and help support those countries that mean so much to us. Well, that's the question, Jeannie. Did the president change any minds last night, whether it was people watching at home or lawmakers in Washington? You know, he's sorry, Joe, he had an almost impossible task ahead of him. And um, the reality is, is that when you are speaking to that many audiences and crisscrossing the world the way he was trying to do, it was a very, very difficult hill to climb. So I give him credit for coming out. I think he needs to do that more. But I put myself in the perspective of somebody who's not following this as closely as, as you do and Rick does and I do. And if you are sitting somewhere working all day, you come home, you turn on the TV or you turn on Bloomberg radio, you're listening, you're thinking, why is he talking about taking trains to Ukraine, flying in and out of Israel? You know, what does this have to do with me? I'm having trouble paying my mortgage, all of these things. And so from that perspective, it was a difficult task and he did an okay job, nothing against the president, but is it going to change minds in the U.S.? Probably yeah. not when it pertains to funding of the level he's talking about. So I understand why he's asking for $100 billion. He only needs He can only do this once, given the state of Congress and facing an election year. But are you telling me that people sitting at home looked at that and said, yeah, that's right? Probably not. And that's the problem the president has. I think it's interesting he convinced the Republican here more than the Democrat Uh Rick, does the Oval Office address have the same weight or impact that it once had now that we're not in a three-network TV world anymore? Yeah, I mean, it, you won't have had that many eyes on it um, last night, but the social media uh, aspect of it, the the chopping up of that speech and the complete saturation 
of that speech around the world um, is yeah. um, is is going to have a big impact. We've got uh, something cooking on Capitol Hill that I've, I've got to bring the conversation back here, guys. The, this Republican conference meeting that's underway right now is apparently going to generate a vote uh, on whether Jim Jordan, in fact, they're taking this vote now, whether Jim Jordan will remain the Republican nominee for speaker. Uh, if you're just catching up here, Jim Jordan lost a third round of voting today and lost by the most he has yet. They then went behind closed doors, and it looks like uh, we're going to have a sense here uh, in in the interim. Let's see if uh, we get the votes counted and, and whether the results are accepted, where we may be without even a speaker, a speaker designate. What kind of strategy is this, Rick? They're eating their own now. Yeah, this is phenomenal. Um, if it weren't so important, it'd be entertaining. Um, uh, an up or down vote on Jim Jordan. I mean, normally you would have somebody who would say, no, no, I'll contest this. I'll be, I want to be the Republican nominee, but you don't even have anybody who'll stand up and say, Hey, I want the job. So an up or down vote on Jordan will likely mean Jordan wins that vote. I mean, it's awful hard to lose a majority vote when you've just gotten 190 votes on the floor. So, um, the, the reality is that, uh, it's just another way of trying to spinning themselves up and hopefully, I guess the Jordan folks think that'll give them some momentum. Uh, it makes no sense wow. to me, frankly. Uh, we'll let you know, of course, what we learn uh, out of this. We're going to have to give this a minute. But Jeannie, I don't know if if Jim Jordan is not the speaker designate by the end of the day here. Are we moving closer to a Patrick McHenry speakership or a Hakeem Jeffries speakership? You know, yesterday I thought maybe Patrick McHenry, but the Republicans balked at that. I mean, this is the conference that just can't accept a yes and to move forward. Um, so, you know, let's let's just also reflect on some of these horrific voicemails that we have been hearing that Republicans who voted against Jim Jordan have been getting and have been releasing and their spouses and their families yep. threatening them in the worst language. And so... This is where the conference is. And we understand that Kevin McCarthy was just asked if it's a broken conference. And he said, we're in a bad position or a bad place. Well, that's the understatement of the century. They are in a horrific place and there doesn't seem to be anyone to lead them out of it. And that is what we are seeing. And what an embarrassment for the party. And to Rick's point, it is a shame for us and the rest of the world because they have important business to do. So they've got to get behind yeah. somebody who can lead this conference. I'm glad you mentioned it because the death threats, the voicemails are horrifying and it might be the undoing of Jim Jordan if it hasn't already been. Never mind the emails from Sean Hannity's producer. My God, you want to talk about pressure. Rick and Jeannie with us as we try to get to the bottom of this. It's happening as we speak on the Hill. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Welcome to Hour 2 of Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew alongside Kaylee Lines in Washington where we have breaking news. I've said that just about every time I've come near a microphone today. Kaylee's just back from Capitol Hill. Thanks for making time, as always, uh, because we've now got a red headline on the terminal. It's not the first one that we've seen today in the speaker's race, but Jim Jordan is out. Yeah, 
granted, when I was at the Capitol earlier, he had just lost his third vote That's attempting right. to get the speaker's gavel. 25 members of the Republican conference voted against him. They all went into a room, did another secret ballot mm-hmm. to decide whether or not Jordan should remain the speaker designate for the Republican conference. And they decided no. The margin, Joe, pretty large. 112 to 86. That's a, that's a pretty loud result, and there's clearly no path for him. So yes. everyone's going home again. Yep, until Monday. That's a real headline, too, here, right? All the yep. members were told, so everyone's going to National Airport as we speak. According to Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, they're going to come back, and at 6.30 p.m. Monday night, they're going to have another candidate forum to try to pick wow. someone else. So Kevin McCarthy's out. Steve Scalise tried and failed, and now Jim Jordan has tried and failed, too. And we'll see what other names pop up over the weekend, Joe. This is like a game show now. This is Survivor. Yes. Uh, and no one can get off the island. The weakest link. Somehow. Or I don't Maybe it's the opposite. <laughs> We're Mike Rogers, Jody Arrington. I mean, what? Kevin Hearn. Are, are we down to sort of the Emmer, third maybe? rung now? Well, that's a good point. Weeks ago, Emmer was seen as a real contender. Yeah. And he hasn't gone near this thing because he's probably smarter than that. Um, there are others in the leadership, I suppose. Does, does Steve Scalise come back around or Kevin is watching? Well, yeah, there's the McCarthy question as well. And there's that so. Mick. Uh-oh. Then there's also the Mick Henry factor Fair we enough. have to yes. consider. A number That's of members right. that were speaking to reporters on the steps of the Capitol earlier today when asked about the idea that Patrick McHenry could see his powers as pro tem expanded, mm-hmm. a number of them said, he could just run for speaker, that that would be the better path yes. forward than expanding his powers, no one's which buying that. some feel is unconstitutional. I don't know that Incredible. he wants the job, Joe. Uh, well, you know, maybe that might be just the way to get the job, the way things are going yeah. here. But we'll keep you posted on this. Pretty remarkable day in Washington. Again, Jim Jordan no longer in the running. I suppose anything could happen. But I wouldn't hold your breath today as lawmakers pack up the office, lock the door, and head for the airport to go home. Now, this has consequences, of course, mm-hmm. Kaylee, as we've discussed, getting closer to a November 17 government shutdown. There's no kind of real path here, but also the president spoke to Americans from the Oval Office last evening to make the case for a $100 billion supplemental budget request for Israel, yep. for Ukraine, Taiwan, and border security here, kind of a national security package, as he put it, uh, which is worth nothing until there's a speaker. Well, exactly. It can't be acted on. And we were speaking earlier with uh, Congresswoman Nicole Malliotakis outside the Capitol, and she said funding for Israel is really important, but the longer the House goes on without a speaker, they lose their leverage to try to address these funding questions separately, specifically Ukraine, which we know is a huge problem for House Republicans. But to your point, Joe, whether they're addressing them separately or whether they are addressing them at all, Mm -hmm. you need a Speaker of the House to do that. That's true. But we have to talk about what's going on in the Middle East today with headlines beyond funding. And it's important to talk about this after an Oval Office address. It's only the second one we've seen and heard from uh, Joe Biden. Uh, With news now, as we just mentioned, Hamas says it's released two American hostages The White House is looking for some time here. They're urging Israel to delay a ground invasion so more hostages might be saved. And that's where we start our conversation with General Ben Hodges, former commanding general, U.S. Army Europe, back with us on Bloomberg. General, it's great to see you. And thanks for your patience as we grind through some breaking news here. We're getting it on both sides of the Atlantic today. What's your thought on this ask from the White House? Does it matter what the administration says and is it possible for Israel to balance a ground invasion along with a hostage rescue mission? Well, I think it was important that the president last night 
first of all, spoke to the nation how important this is and to explain why this matters uh, to all of us. But also, uh, I was impressed and glad to see him link uh, what's happening in Ukraine to what's happening in Israel. Uh, these are linked, I am sure, because of the relationship between Putin and Iran. Uh, those are the two closest allies. Russia is benefiting from this Hamas attack on Israel more than anybody. It, it distracts attention, resources, energy away from Ukraine, which, of course, is what the Kremlin needs. Uh, so the president, I think, correctly has linked these things and talks about us getting organized, working with allies. This is how we're going to defeat Russia, defeat Hamas, uh, deter uh, Iran, and also to deter China from thinking that they could find opportunity in all of this as well. Well, and that's something we've repeatedly heard from the president and others in his administration, like Secretaries Austin and Blinken, basically anyone trying to take advantage of this crisis, don't do it. How great do you think the risk is of that happening, though, despite what the president says from the Oval Office, despite requests he made, as Joe and I were just discussing, it's going to be a while probably before Congress can actually act on this. And we're seeing a lot of division here at home that I'm sure they're paying attention to internationally. Well, Kayla, you're right. Um our foreign policy depends a lot on having strong domestic policy and being unified at home. And so the president is doing what he should do, which is to try and galvanize uh, American support, congressional support for this, these threats, all of which uh, are against all the stuff, all the things that we care about, as, as well as for our allies. Now, um, it is a major problem not having a, a functioning House of Representatives right now. This is a problem. And of course, all of our adversaries can see this. That's why they've been going after uh, our resilience as an American society for so long to cause us to lose trust and confidence in our institutions. And so this chaos now in the House plays right into that. Um, I, but I also think it's useful to point out that the Department of Defense has done what they should have done which is to put the two carrier strike groups in the Eastern Mediterranean to do other things uh, to, these are prudent steps to convey to Iran, do not make the terrible mistake of thinking that you could escalate this because they'll pay a big price. And um, th this is prudent planning by the Department of Defense. You talked to us about the invasion at hand generally. You have a better sense of this than most. The longer time goes by allows Hamas to reinforce its positions, hide things, create new tunnels? Is it getting more dangerous by the day for the Israelis? Yeah, for sure. Um, th there, is a, there is a pressure on the Israeli leadership right now. Uh, with each passing day, uh, tunnels get a little bit deeper. The uh, Hamas is able to prepare. Um, that, that's a part of it. Uh, but then, of course, there's pressure on the Israeli leadership because of the uh, impact on their economy. I mean, to pull 300,000, to call up 300,000 reservists, that's 300,000 people, most of whom are normally in the workforce somewhere. So there's a there's a dynamic there. Um, and there's also a psychological uh, uh, pressure on these soldiers. I mean, you can only stay in a crouch for so long. And, and so yeah. at some point, they're going to have to move forward, which is why I think, I don't know this, but the fact that two hostages were released today, thank goodness for those two and their families. But you can almost imagine how the Hamas might look to to trickle things out to delay um, if we're all thinking that maybe if we wait a little bit longer, we might get more hostages. 
So do you think that is a mistake, General, for, for that to be something that the U.S. is pushing for? No, I mean, we, we have to get those hostages out. But there is a point somewhere where, you know, these things, you have to find the right balance between are we doing everything that we can to get hostages? I am absolutely sure that we are. And the Israelis will be very effective at doing this. And there's probably all sorts of pressures from different directions uh, trying to get hostages released. But at the same time, these other pressures are there as well. And so I think this is this is time for some really, really uh, uh, strong, clear eyed assessment of what's going on, constantly weighing risks. Um, and I think the Israelis, as well as with U.S. and British and other leadership, are weighing all of these possibilities. Uh, key will be making sure this does not get es- that this does not escalate beyond Gaza. General, I need to ask you about Ukraine as well. That was a big chunk of the speech and, in fact, will be a much larger chunk of money than Israel receives out of this $100 billion request. One of the things that has not made headlines in the crazy world that we've been dealing with in the news cycle recently is the fact that the U.S. quietly delivered attackums to Ukraine, something that we held on, held out on uh, for some, some time, long-range ballistic missiles Uh, Not only has their delivery been confirmed by the Ukrainians, but they've already been used in the battlefield. President Zelensky saying uh, they were used against Russia and executed very accurately. How important is that development? And with another $60 billion coming, what else do they get? So the uh, the delivery of some attackums at last uh, is important because, as you just described, Joe, that's a real capability. The Ukrainians have destroyed by different reports, probably somewhere close to 20 Russian helicopters, uh, as well as the maintenance facilities for those helicopters. That That is quite a blow. Uh, that would be damaging for us if we lost that much. Uh, secondly, the uh, Russians are continuing this uh, really meat grinder sort of tactic uh, attacking against Ukrainian defenses around a place called Avdika, Avdivka, and they've lost over a thousand soldiers killed every day for about the last seven days in a row. So uh, this is, I don't see any bright lights on the horizon for Russia. They will only continue doing what they're doing. So the attackums that were provided are the type with the cluster munition. Um, it's very effective against these kinds of attacks. Uh, but I have to say, uh, while I'm glad that the U.S. has finally delivered some attackums, the, the main thing that's missing from the president's speech last night was he still cannot say we want Ukraine to win. If he says he, we want Ukraine to win, that it's in our interest that they win, not that they, not just that they avoid losing, but that they win, that they eject Russia back to the 1991 borders, then you would see all the other things that are needed that would really make a difference. The ATACMs that have the range of 300 kilometers uh, that could be used yeah. to make Crimea untenable for Russian forces, that's what would really make the difference. And maybe those are coming if this money gets approved. I don't know, General, but there was, of course, a a big debate about whether they should get them at all. Now they are there. The concern at that time, though, when it was a debate, was moving this battle, this war beyond the borders of Ukraine, that it would give Ukraine the ability to strike within Russian territory. Is that the only way to win this? No. Uh, and, and to be honest, I think those were excuses that the administration was using because they did not want okay. to provide uh, attackums 
not because they were worried because they might use them inside of Russia, which, of course, maybe Kiev would have done that, but because they are not committed to Ukraine actually winning, to defeating Russia on the battlefield. If they if they were committed, then there'd be no question about providing the 300-kilometer the range attackums. We would have started F-16 training over a year ago. There'd be no questions about how much fuel an Abrams tank burns. Those were all excuses. Now, um, the Ukrainians, by the way, the Ukrainians have said, hey, if if there's a restriction on us launching attackums into Russia in order to get them, we, we won't we won't do that. We're, we're, we've got enough targets. The Ukrainians have enough targets inside Russian occupied uh, Ukraine uh, that they don't have to launch attackums against targets inside Russia. The French and the British were satisfied with this more than two months ago. I, I don't understand yeah. why our administration continues to hold back on delivering capability. We we continue this incremental drip, drip, drip of aid versus um, helping Ukraine win. That's the quickest way to end this, by the way. I only have a minute left, General. In fact, a little bit less. If I'm reading you right then, uh, Ukrainians need longer range attackums. Israelis need replacement missiles for the Iron Dome. Are those the two priorities for each? I think I think those are very uh, you've nailed it. Those are would be the two things I would say. The key is capability. I, I try to stay away from specific platforms. I talk capability. Sure. Ukraine needs the capability to make Crimea, the most important part of this war, untenable for the Russian Black Sea Fleet and the Russian Air Force. Israel needs the capability to protect their populations from endless rocket attacks. He speaks because he knows General Ben Hodges. Retired Lieutenant General, U.S. Army, former Commanding General, U.S. Army, Europe. Sir, great to see you and welcome back. As always, thanks for sharing your insights. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. We've got two new victims. Two people raised their hands for speaker. We'll have it next. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. All right, we have another and another. I said victim uh, a moment ago, Kaylee. I don't know if that was fair, Uh, but at this point, if you're actually breaking into jail and entering the race for Speaker of the House right now as a Republican, yeah. you're in for some fun. Yeah. it's. I'm hard-pressed to see why anyone really wants the job <laughs> when it's so hard to get yeah. and clearly very hard to keep, as Kevin McCarthy will tell you. <laughs> well, and yet, yet the fact of the matter is someone's got to do it. Right. For this House of Representatives and for Congress as a whole to function and do the work it needs to do, Someone has to have the gavel. So it's kind of like taking one for the team, even if the team mostly is against you, kind of. (laughs) This is Kevin McCarthy a short time ago. Is that the right strategy for him here? Uh, We are in a very bad place right now, yes. We're in a very bad place right now. So enter Kevin Hearn. Yes. And who else is raising their hand? Jack Bergman, the general from Michigan. Uh, Austin Scott, remember him? So we have three now. Yes. Wow. All and right. then, of course, there had been a lot of buzz even going into the vote today that jo- Jody Arrington mm-hmm. from Texas 
So by the time this candidates forum happens on Monday, that's another thing we learned. We could have a whole whole new stage full, whole new Republican debate. And then I assume we'll go through everything we went through the first two times around, Joe, where they do the secret ballot. They try to figure out who is the support. Maybe they should bring in Brett Brett Baer and put it on TV this time. It might make people behave a little more. Um, I didn't think we'd be talking about this with Max Baucus, uh, the former senator, former ambassador to China, joins us now as we do effort a conversation about geopolitics. But, Mr. Ambassador, it's great to see you. Welcome back to Bloomberg. I just I go back to 2008 and I remember the role that you played in negotiating around Obamacare which was the beginning of a lot around here, the Tea Party, the political blogs, the role that the internet was playing, and it has gone nuclear ever since. Do you recognize this Washington anymore? Well, it's very different, no question about it. Um, One last remember, there's a kind of unique quality to the House of Representatives. I, I served in the House for two terms as well as in the Senate. When I was in the House, it just struck me that um, there are little bands of, of groups that form in the House. It's, it's not really a collective majority party. It's rather lots of small little bands and groups. And that's I think that's partly because um, when you're in the House, you really, for, for most districts, don't have to compromise very much because you're in a safe district. And that means that House members tend to be, I think, a little bit narrow-minded. They kind of, they don't have to compromise very much, unlike senators, because when you're a senator, generally, um, your state's much larger. You have lots of different interests to accommodate. Not so in the House. So I'm, I'm not I'm not surprised at this phenomenon. But um, as some of your commentators said, we're in a real bad place. And I, I frankly think that um, the soul, <laughs> the, the, the better soul of the Republican Party is going to start to emerge. And we're going to find finally somebody's going to take that job, as difficult as it is, and as difficult as it is to keep it. Well, Ambassador, as Joe and I sit here talking about how this feels like a reality TV show, maybe even a game show, doesn't even really feel like reality, if I'm being honest. And that's how we're viewing it here in Washington and how I'm sure the constituents of the individuals may be watching things, too. But how do you think this is viewed abroad, especially given the geopolitical challenges the world is facing that we're going to speak with you about in just a moment? Does this make the United States look weak? It does. No question, it does. Um, and then clearly, um, uh, countries like China are going to play this up. It's prop- good propaganda for China. And frankly, the Chinese really do feel that they are, have a superior form of government than we. Um, the, um, when I was serving over there, uh, Wang Jiechi, who was one of the, the top people, explained to me that, why they're superior. Why are they superior? Because um, they have a form of government which allows them to make things happen very quickly, pointing out that uh, the last 40 years, if, had they been a democracy, then they never would have grown as much as they as they have. And second, they think they have a much better process for choosing leaders. That is, their leaders are peer-reviewed. Over time, someone bubbles up the top, and that's the person they select. And then they, he said, over there in your country, anybody can be president. So they do feel superior. And then they're going to use this this is a House failure to elect a speaker as an example how dysfunctional America is, and it's going to really help that position themselves within the uh, within Chinese people. I'm curious your thoughts uh, following this visit by Vladimir Putin, who Joe Biden was talking about last night in his address to the American people, largely with regard to Ukraine, but he had uh, quite a meeting with his friend, his dear friend as he called him, uh, President Xi in Beijing. 
President Xi outlining his vision of a new world order as they spent time together touting the benefits of Belt and Road and the weakness of the West. This is the backdrop for the conversation that the president had with the country last night. How worried are you about these two getting ever closer? I'm quite concerned. Um, essentially, um, all countries will pursue their own national interests. We do as Americans, mm -hmm. the Chinese do. And the Chinese are, are gonna use their relationship with Russia, as well as with Iran and some other countries to try to gain as much influence as they can in the world and especially appeal to the South countries, that is to the South Asian, to African and, and, and South American countries, as developing countries. They do believe that they're the leader of developing countries as opposed to developed. And they have a former government that's gonna help those countries progress much more quickly than if they were, if they were say a Western democracy. So, um, and, and add to that, unfortunately, is, a, is the tragedy unfolding in the Mideast. Because that, that that tragedy, combined with the visits of Putin to, um, for example, to, to Russia, as well as the Egyptian uh, president recently to Russia, to to China, mm -hmm. really is starting to cause the world tectonic place to shift a little bit. And, it's, and we're approaching a kind of a real deep division, on the one hand, between the United States and Western allies, uh, leading the world to the beacon of hope and democracy. On the other hand, um, uh, the, the group of countries led by China is appealing much more to the South countries. And it, it, it's very unfortunate. We're in a very difficult position. I don't know if we're at a tipping point, but we're in a very difficult position in the world where U.S. influence versus China's influence is going to be very important to see who's going to carry the day. And how influential is what happens in the Middle East to that ambassador? I think it's um it's quite influential uh, because um China again appeals to the South countries and the South countries are, have a very deep affinity uh, to the uh, Palestinians and other Arab countries and let's not forget it's, it's a bit of a change of subject here but we are here in significant respect because of decisions made by Western powers at the end of World War one at the breakup of the Ottoman Empire at the end of World War One, when the Ottoman Empire was broken up, there were no countries in Mideast like uh, uh, Jordan or, or Lebanon. Western powers created those company, countries and, pla and placed them right in the middle of, of Arab Mideast and Palestinians. And so, and then put Israel in the Mideast. So there's, there's the tension has been building up in the Mideast basically since the end of World War One. And it's just getting worse and worse. There's been no resolution between uh, Israel and the Palestinians. Will there be a two-state solution or not? President Xi is, act, is, is, is in China is advocating it, but it's, that's kind of still born. I don't think that's going to happen. We're in a mess. We're in a real mess. And add to that is the form of a war that's going on in the House Republicans um, because they can't get their act together either. Unbelievable. Uh, we're in a mess. This is something we all agree on yeah. at home and abroad. Max Baucus, former ambassador to China, of course, former U.S. senator from the great state of Montana. It's good to see you, sir. And thanks for the insights. If you were with us on YouTube, and you can do that now by searching Bloomberg Global News, you would have seen the Max backdrop he had going there, which was excellent, I have to admit. I, I liked it very much. Yeah, I want we, a backdrop need, that just says Kaylee. Well, that's right. This seems like a very Joe. not personalized situation <laughs> here. 
uh, we're going to work on that. If, uh, if you are just joining us, it's been an interesting day around here. Jim Jordan is no longer the speaker designate. Yep. Everybody's going home. Yep. As Kaylee's been reporting, we have three at least candidates now who are ready to jump in the pool. We're going to have a candidates forum on Monday. Uh, a speaker's vote, presumably on Tuesday. Yeah, Patrick McHenry says Tuesday is the goal. Tuesday. So that puts us four days that away, change even and that on will Tuesday. be three full weeks then without a speaker. Thanks for listening to the Sound On Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com.